topic is mental illness. Is prevention being appropriately prioritized? Speaker will be Dr. David Swan, Liberal MLA for Calgary Mountain View. So it should be interesting to come back again next week. Upcoming sessions are listed on SACPA's website, www.sacpa.ca. So um, this session and past sessions can be heard in audio and as podcast from that website. We have um, also there's there a session survey comment block available on, on the website. And we have a suggestion box placed just outside the door here in the lobby for ideas and comments. Okay, just to restate uh, today's topic, it's uh, sales tax, the tax that dare not speak its name in Alberta. Uh, we're going to begin the questions right now. To ask people to uh, use the mic over here where, where Austin is waiting to ask a question over on my side or by the wall. Uh, ask people when they come to the mic, please state your name and uh, keep your question reasonably brief. Ask, you can ask one or two questions. Ask your, uh, avoid personal attacks, first of all. So ask your question and then please return to your seat. No questions from the floor, please, because the session is being uh, uh, recorded. Uh, we'll continue until about 1.30 p.m., so we're now uh, open for questions. Uh, invite. Dr. Harrison, back to the mic. Thank you, and uh, yeah, I hope you really enjoyed the, uh, the lunch. That was great. I enjoyed it myself. Um, yes, Austin. Um, Austin Fennel here. Um, thanks very much, Dr. Harrison, for laying it out for us. I'm glad you did that. It's a subject of great importance, as you know now. You don't really need to have to answer this question. But what is your life? I'm pretty hearing about answering most questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know you wouldn't teach if you couldn't Thank answer you. Uh, <clears throat> Question is, what do you think the Fraser Institute is saying about the same subject? <laughs> Actually, you know, it's, it's not impossible that the Fraser, as I said, there's a number of uh, uh, people on the political right, uh, economists, quite often a lot of them tend to be on the right, who do support the notion of sales tax. And the reason is because some of the reasons I point out there, the stability of them, uh, but they quite often want to use it to then uh, depress other kinds of taxes. So they would like to go uh, to some kind of flat tax system. I think that is probably one of the things the Fraser Institute would like to see again, is to bring back the flat tax, which the NDP uh, government uh, last summer after they, after they were elected, one of the first things they did was bring back progressive income tax. So I think Fraser Institute would probably do that. They would like to lower the corporate tax rates. 
these are things again that uh, Jack Vince at the uh, School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary has advocated. Um, and I don't advocate. Uh, but, uh, you know, so there is, I suspect within that particular institute, they would support a sales tax, but only to offset other kinds of more progressive kind of taxation measures. Thanks, Trevor. It's always a delight to have you here. I'd like to talk about the revenue side. Um, we'll both really. um, if we uh, if we tax corporations, we only get a half a billion per percent, whereas we get one billion per percent for a sales tax. But um, I'm totally against the sales tax because of the regressive nature. It's the hardest on the middle class. Um, I mean, it's the hardest on the very poor unless we do something like with the GST, you get some kind of a rebate on a quarterly basis. The, the middle, middle tax, the middle class are paying quite a bit, and um, the rich are getting away with just a 1%. So I'm wondering uh, about a luxury tax and um, a graduated luxury tax, but not a luxury tax on people, a luxury tax on things. Mm -hmm. So if a house or a car or some other luxury item uh, costs so much money, let's say $50,000, it would have a 1% tax. $100,000, 2% tax. Well, probably not between 50 and 100, 2% tax. Then um, between 100 and blah, blah, blah. Then you just, it just progressively goes up. So you're, so you're selling your house, your house is a, or you're buying a house million dollar house it would be a certain amount um so that's one question about um, a luxury tax but not a sin tax not on the not on the things we're taxing people to death on you know alcohol and and, and um, cigarettes but on and luxury, marijuana to come and luxury items okay. uh, my second question is we expect in our families when we're doing our budget to have a revenue column that actually is revenue it's not a tax so why can't our governments make money and at our table we were talking about um uh utilities making money bc ontario various places making money on utilities and um, and the riders and things that we pay on electricity and gas i'm getting to it um so why not own your utilities. I mean, in the monopoly game, we know the first thing you want to do is get the utilities. So, own the utilities. It would probably cost us less for paying our utilities, our electricity and gas, because right now we've got riders and distribution that, that quadruple the, the cost for our utilities. And, um, and, and use that as a resource. Or have some other way of having businesses. Like, why, why can't the government sell um, solar powers and have a solar power industry or something? So, why can't the government actually be like a big business? I mean, that would get a lot of people on board if we're like a big business and sell stuff that that we need and bring money that way rather than all these taxes. Okay, so the two questions: one is the the luxury, and one is. Mm -hmm. Business. Yep. And, and so, and both questions are obviously tied up. But looking for other kinds of revenues. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, the first thing I would say is uh, I do think actually in terms of people who get outside of paying their proper taxes, we should be going after them um, harder than we do. Uh, of course, in the last few weeks, we've heard a lot about the uh, 
Panama Papers and the very, very uh, ultra-rich who are able to uh, hide away uh, money in, in foreign kind of ventures. Uh, and I do think governments around the world need to crack down. But you have to realize these are also very powerful people. Powerful because they do have lots of money. Kind of recycle out of there. Uh, and so it is actually really hard to, to get some of that. But I think what you should do as much as possible to actually uh, get that kind of money. Um, in terms of uh, taxing corporations, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for taxing uh, corporations as much as we possibly do. I mean, at some point it probably does become disadvantageous, particularly if they can be lured across the border to Saskatchewan. But that's not about to happen because we actually have the same rate. One of the fallacies over time in Alberta, however, has been that somehow if we raise corporate taxes, uh, that they are going to, um, they will leave automatically from Alberta for some reason. They're not going to, for some of the reasons I said before about uh, why corporations settle in a place anyway. But the other thing is, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but um, if they're American corporations, uh, not taxing them here doesn't even benefit the corporations because they end up paying the difference in taxes down in the United States. So why we've kept them lower on American companies than uh, we should is has always been a mystery, and I, I don't understand that. It's just bad accounting. Um, so trying to get hold of that money is is very difficult. Um, you could have uh, luxury taxes. I, you know, when I'm not opposed to all kinds of other sources of taxes. It seems to me you want to have money coming in from different kinds of sources. I'm not sure it would still bring in the kind of money that we're talking about here. Like we're talking about billions of dollars and billions of dollars that used to be funded through the uh, royalty stream. I'm just not sure there's enough of that kind of money to do it. The second point is, however, a really interesting one that I've given talks on for probably over 20 years. And it comes back to a kind of ideological belief about government and the state and what the state should do uh, versus what the market should do. And I think you know, one of the things that we were sold on over the last 20 years or so is that, first of all, uh, the market is somehow efficient and the business is always really efficient. And the proof for this, of course, is that business makes a profit. And the counterproof, the, the proof that uh, governments are inefficient is the fact that they seem to lose money. <laughs> they run deficits. Now, uh, if you think of it, one of the reasons for that is that every time, and you, you can, don't have to go back very far to think, for example, the uh, old ALCP stores in Alberta, <laughs> which I was involved with actually a number of studies at the time that was, they were all sold off pretty much overnight. And the argument quite often was made, well, uh, it's not legitimate that the government should be making money on these things. Uh, it should be privatized because only the marketplace, only business people should make a profit on them. So it's unfair that the government is running a business that makes a profit. So they get privatized, right? And so inevitably what it means is the government always ends up with the things that have to be heavily subsidized and in the business lingo are effectively losers. <laughs> because the private sector doesn't want to pick them up because there's no profit in it. So you've actually kind of rigged the game in such a way that uh, the private sector has to make the profits, and the government sec sector always has to lose money, and therefore you always are in this situation of trying to fill that gap there. Um, so I agree, there's all kinds of things that quite frankly, uh, it, public utilities is a good example, where it is, public utilities have always historically in economics been viewed as natural monopolies. That is, it makes no sense to have 
20,000 different telephone companies running lines all across things, right? If you use lines, we don't use lines anymore. Um, but you would have a natural monopoly and it would have to be public because it is a monopoly, right? But effectively over about 20 or 30 years of, of being convinced of this, we've had the idea that all these things, because they do make money, we know utilities do, that they should be in private hands. So a lot of these things we could, if you look, want to look for economic efficiencies, it would probably be more efficient to actually have public ownership over a lot of things at this point. Um, but good point, good questions. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Professor Harrison. You and I have had a debate on this already, Frank Potts. Hi, Frank. Uh, you're on the finance end. Of, I'm on the political science end of this. But anyway, I had uh, I had submitted the last big manifesto to the Premier Rachel, and I don't know of any lawyer that I've ever known to take somebody else's advice, but I, I'm still pulling for her. I have suggested the difference between getting money and saving money to abolish our eight international <coughs> inter, international embassies. Quebec doesn't have one, BC doesn't have one. You have wonderful charts up there, but none of these got embassies around the world. The savings on the embassies and cutting down on the uh, 1,300 plus healthcare executives is costing a, a king's fortune. Now, reducing that and getting back to the old, my father was a hospital board member, but giving no recompense and getting back to locally elected hospital members and saving possibly 60, 80 billion dollars a year on the many healthcare executives. Do you think there's any uh, value to this side of it, saving money or uh, against getting money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I've, I've written at various points, and in fact, in the uh, <clears throat> the letter that we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that the uh, 19 of us signed that we were sending to the premier, uh, we mentioned in there that uh, you know the idea of the uh, you know seeking efficiencies where they are. Um, I keep telling people actually that I'm really cheap, uh, and I am, uh, but that just means I'm really cautious with my money, uh, and uh, I I think that's important. This when you're spending public money. It's also though a, uh, it's again one of those myth conceptions, if I can put it, that we've been sold on over the last number of years, Fraser Institute and others, that there's a huge amount of fat in the system. You know, we hear this all the time, that we wouldn't have a problem if we just cut out all the fat. Um, and it's, it's just not true. I mean, they, you know, you can, where you can find efficiencies, great, but there just isn't that much. You're not going to fit it fill a $10.4 billion hole by finding efficiencies, as people like to say. Even Wild Rose, when they were talking about, they laid out a 10-point plan, what the government should do, and they said, if you do this and this and this and this, and you know, some of the things were totally impractical, I think. But they said, we could find $2 billion. Okay, maybe it's $2 billion, I doubt it. That's still $8.4 billion in a deficit. So, uh, so I'm all for savings. Uh, Frank, in terms of some of your suggestions, yeah, I think there's a, uh, I've often thought that uh, many of those foreign embassies that Alberta set up, they look to me to be uh, places to uh, nicely, 
you know, nice cushiony appointments for uh, Tory, Tory party hacks. Uh, and closing them down, we you know we could save some money there. But again, these this is kind of not a lot of money, but we should do it just because it's the right thing to do. Uh, I know the government is actually looking right now at uh, amalgamating, changing many of the boards and agencies. They proliferated like gophers over the province during the four uh, years. And again, it seemed to be just kind of rewards to friends. And so the government is going to cut back on that. But even they're saying, you know, when we start to look at this, we may be saving maybe a quarter of a million dollars a year. I mean, it's, it's chump change. It's not enough to get to the, the real heart of the matter, but it should be done anyway. And so where we can find efficiencies, great, we should do that kind of thing. But save where we can, but we do need to look at the revenue stream because we are seriously lagging behind. <coughs> Hi, Trevor. Hi, you were implying about the softening, somewhat softening stance on the whole aspect of uh, sales tax. Um, and I just heard this morning on CBC, uh, Paul McLaughlin uh, from the legislator of Alberta Scan, um, mentioning the fact that what he sees is that partly the reason that Rachel Notley is so definite that there will be no sales tax, it is because it was part of the platform. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there's no way she or Joe Cece will talk about the sales tax during this term. Mm -hmm. But so what his thinking is that sort of in discussion though, prior to a next election, that you may very well sound out and try to see uh, how sales tax would go across and you're definitely contributing towards that discussion and uh, he feels that probably while they may not run on a sales tax but they would consider possibly bringing in the sales tax i.e. .e. not running against the sales tax in the next election campaign so what's your thoughts on that yeah actually before the uh, the letter that i was one of the signatures of, of a few months ago i actually wrote another article that came out in the fall where i suggested that uh because of the revenue problem that was looming even then obviously that Alberta should strike a tax commission to look at the revenue streams and sales tax would be part of it, but you could look at some of the other things such as, uh, you know, as Bev said, the uh, uh, luxury taxes, whatever. Just throw it open and let's talk, have a real adult discussion about this. Um, so I think, you know, that might be one of the ways they'll start to actually open up that conversation. We, we were having this discussion a bit actually over the lunch at our table. And one of the things I, I remarked, and I've said this at various times, uh, you know, speaking to groups, is that the way to understand governments is that governments are, by their nature, risk averse. They're always, from the first, from the first time they're when elected, they're always thinking about the next election, right? And so they're they're thinking, you know, what can we get away with in a sense? You know, what where is the public on this? So uh, rather than thinking that leaders lead, what political parties and leaders actually do is they follow and they want to they look out their window and they say which you know where's the parade which way is it going how many people are following it and then they run out and they say okay i'll lead it now um and so that's the way to think the way most politicians you rarely find somebody who jumps out and says this is the way to go you know this is the way to the new jerusalem bernie sanders <laughs> bernie sanders perhaps uh, and most of the time, of course, they lose. <laughs> um, 
But you know, I'm but putting that out in a conversation is still a, a, an honorable and a good thing to do. It's just that when you play the political game, you have to think about how am I going to get elected. And so, I do think if you actually were to look at all of the kind of discussion in the media over the last few months, and you look at the actual wording that is going on, you will see a kind of gentle slippage in the terminology, and that's because the government is saying, okay, from there will never be a sales tax, there will never be a sales tax in this term, there will never be, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and I don't see there's an appetite right now, right? Uh, and we need to see what Albertans think about this. It's an important conversation. Like if you start to follow the wording there, and then you start to add in the fact that you know Rachel Notley appears before business leaders in Calgary, and they're afterwards saying, I think it's about time we thought about a sales tax. And so I think the terrain for the discussion is easing up, whereas you couldn't have had that conversation 20 years ago. As long as the oil money kept flowing in, nobody was going to be open to that because Who's going to fight against free and easy money, right? But I think Albertans are maybe coming around to that. And when they finally do, and there's an obvious sign that they're ready for that discussion, then some political leader will say, hey, I'm really courageous. I'm going to lead it now. <laughs> My name is Van Christenum. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Harrison, for being with us again and uh, presenting a timely topic uh, that's important to all of us. Um, I have to start my comments by saying I couldn't agree more that there is no free lunch. What amazes me is that we as a society have bought into the American pattern that there is a free lunch. Let's cut out government, let's let corporations take over, and then we don't even have to think anymore. Uh, they'll, they'll make the decisions for us, which they're doing very effectively, and uh, we don't even have to vote anymore, uh, which is borne out by the statistics of how many people vote in the United States and here in Canada as well. It amazes me that we Canadians have bought into that there is a free lunch, that by allowing things to slip into the corporate pattern, uh, which is supposed to be more efficient than government operations, uh, we haven't figured out that all this competition that happens between these corporations becomes very expensive to society in other ways. Uh, these companies start competing with one another so avidly that the German auto manufacturer uh, uh, completely cheated people on, on pollution. And now uh, Japanese Mitsubishi has done similarly with uh, mileage of their cars. Uh, in order to get ahead of the next corporation. Uh, they're duplicating things over and over again at a tremendous waste uh, in terms of uh, our resources, in terms of our, our humanity, um, that cost us all dearly. So there is no free lunch, but we've bought into it. My question is, do you think, what do you think is an effective way for our coming to our senses and realizing that your figure of the Swedish people paying 25% sales tax by people who have involved themselves heavily in making decisions about what the priorities of the government are, is and are, mm -hmm. and, and then being willing to pay for those priorities that they decided on. They're involved. Uh, what do you think it will take to involve us? Good question, Dan. Uh, just 
just to start out, actually, as you said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I realized I didn't pay for my lunch. But then, actually, <laughs> then, then I realized I, I guess I do have to talk for the lunch, so I guess I paid yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, I, I do think you know, it's, it's a matter of kind of political education in the sense that we have to be aware of what we actually get for it. You know, there's a, I, I wish there was a, uh, a way to, people who are extremely poor, um, low-income earners and those people who are out of the labor markets altogether, uh, they unfortunately quite often don't get the benefits of a lot of uh, social programs that we have, and there's a lot of reasons for that, that, that mitigate against that. But the real beneficiaries of so many of the programs that we pay for are in fact that thing called the middle class. I mean, it's middle class people basically through uh, with their kids going to school, healthcare, and everything else, they're the real beneficiaries of having really good programs. Um, and so, uh, but people quite often don't realize that. They don't realize what they're actually getting for their money. So, but again, in, in places like Sweden, they do understand that. And so I think part of the education is to say, think about what you actually get for the money that you put out. Um, if you were to have to, and the United States is always a great example because in terms of Bunch of social programs, they actually are so far out of the mainstream in Western countries. Um, even with Obamacare, uh, there's a lot of, there's like 35 million Americans don't get proper health care. Um, and so think if you can't, if things are not provided for you through public services, which are paid for by taxes, and you have to pay for that out of your pocket, how many people would be able to afford 40 or 45 thousand dollars? to pay for that privately, right? So you actually really do get something, but people don't realize that when they pay taxes. Um, I am actually perhaps an anomaly, I guess, maybe in Canada, because I actually wrote a column some years ago now, and this was not, I wasn't even a tenured prop, I wasn't even in a tenure transition, where I said, you know, I figured out roughly 14 million Canadians in the workforce, and I said, you know, we should all be taxed about 500 dollars more. That's seven billion dollars I figured out. Okay, because I'm a math whiz. Um, and but I said and you know like I said I, I wasn't a tenure prof. I was you know we were you know doing okay but and I said in fact I'll find it somewhere. Tax me a thousand because I know there's people who can't pay for it. Tax me a thousand, I'll find a thousand dollars someplace because I believe enough that you should pay taxes and you will get something for it. Um, but a lot of people don't understand what they get for it. So that calculation, people have to understand, and they do understand it in European countries. Unfortunately, we've, we've kind of bought into this notion again that things are free here, and we have to get away from that. And Alberta is particularly bad for that at the moment. Yeah. My name is Henry Heine, and I've Hi. read quite a bit lately in terms of the carbon tax, which starts January the 1st. 2017. Yeah. Some have said, never mind the sales tax, the carbon tax will raise $3 billion. For instance, it's goals under the guise of a sales tax, so we have a carbon tax. Any comments on that? By the way, hopefully you had more enjoyment out of your lunch than Fan because you didn't pay for it. Trevor, <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't have to pay for your lunch. <laughs> the, uh, I'm of two minds about the carbon tax. Actually, when they announced it, I, I think, uh, again, 
not to get really technical, but there's a an argument in terms of a whole bunch of things that we do, particularly on the environment, that the real costs of things have been externalized onto the environment. So the real costs of actually producing uh, gas and oil and everything, we don't charge it. And it's it's externalized onto the health of people. It's externalized onto nature, as though nature's just going to clean it all up. And so one of the things we know is uh, pretty clearly from economics is if you put a price on something, people will adjust their behavior. So for you raise the price of cigarettes, people will stop smoking, they'll smoke less, right? It's price sensitive. So the idea in general of actually having some tax on uh, carbon emission that would then go into cleaning up and putting a real price on what carbon emissions actually cost, I think is actually a good idea. My hope from the beginning was that all of that money basically would be going into some kind of transitional thing to move us away from it, right? So it would clean up the cost and move us into some other kind of new economy based less on carbon uh, extraction. Um, I'm a little concerned that actually the, the money seems to now be going into almost kind of a semi-revenue uh, stream thing, right? Uh, and to some extent, the amount of money they hope to bring in is also going to be at least halved by the fact, or maybe a third is if I can coin the term, by the rebates. Now, I understand again why the rebates to people who are at lower end incomes and are going to they use cars as well. But I think there might be better ways through the tax system to actually compensate those people rather than fiddling with the original purpose of the taxes as I view them. Thanks, Trevor. Mary Shillington here. This will be the last question. Yes, I figured that. Um, uh, lots to think about. Uh, last night there was a quite a good group in the Centre Foyer at City Hall around homelessness, and as many of them talked about the homeless people who have absolutely no idea of what kind of resources are out there and couldn't follow through on the steps to take in order to get those. Uh, and so there's many in our community who are in the lower income and so on that uh, don't have have that know-how or the cognitive ability to do that. And so you know all all the rest of us like you, I would agree, we need to pay extra because people like the homeless can't do that. So how do we start? It's sort of a natural fallout. Uh, there's no free lunch. How do we follow up and look after? those people who can't do that and and how do we, you know the fact that we, we need to have some taxes uh, and that, that's a concern of mine and sales tax uh, but how do we follow up on on helping those people who don't have the and even some of the low-income people who don't have the education or the resources to to find out what's going on mm-hmm. Yeah, what you don't want in any society, it seems to me, is to create a, a perpetual uh, situation of dependency among people. So you want services that are going to assist them to become the best people they can become, right? And, and they can get on with their lives. Um, one of the tragedies about the way we actually think about finances and you know money coming in, money going out, is sometimes these these programs are viewed as kind of residual things. They're kind of nice too as if we have the money, but we don't really value the people that are being served in them. And, uh, you know, certainly homeless people and and various people in low income groups do need to be serviced. These are real jobs that the people working with them are are working at. And it tends to be in our mindset sometimes uh, really discounted there. Um, 
one of the uh, so I I think in general one of the things that we have to think about is uh, in, in just if we think of it kind of uh, financial terms I guess fiscal terms uh, Fraser Mustard I know years ago used to talk about if you spent one dollar at the front end taking care of people that you saved seven dollars down that's the ratio he used right so that for example you take care of people you know children who are families that are in need you're going to keep them out of child welfare systems perhaps out of prisons you know they will be successful in the workforce so they actually are, are good employees etc that's one of the ways we need to think about it and again in terms of educating people about the value of taxes the value of various kinds of programs that we do that sometimes are not viewed as economically efficient but in fact they really are but beyond being economically efficient they're just they're fair and they lead to a good society so thank you thank you Jennifer. that's a wrap see you next week